Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 31 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today we are going to, Rachel and I are going to be answering two questions from listeners. The first question has to do with rebuilding your life after divorce. And the second question is about just worrying or wondering whether or not you are actually the dysfunctional one in the relationship. So hi, Rachel. Welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. (laughs) Let's begin with our, let's listen to our first question. Okay. Hi, Natalie. So my question is, um, what would you say to a woman who is now on the other side of divorce and, and happy for that um, because of the peace she has? But I was in the homeschooling movement. I have four kids and there's just overwhelming anxiety and sometimes even fear about someone ever wanting a woman who's in her 40s and has kids um, and is really just starting over in life with career and everything um, there's just this overwhelming fear that, that I'm doomed to never find that again. Like no one would ever want to take all that on. And I've kind of resigned myself to a life of loneliness in that area. Um, because I left. So I'm just curious what, like, how did you get to a place that you believed that God could do that again for you or bless you with that again? despite, you know, leaving with kids in kind of midlife. Thank you. Well, Rachel, you are still single. I know you, you you have a relationship. (laughs) Yes. I, yes. But you've been single longer than I have, longer than I was. Yes. What, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I, I love that she like, Okay. So we know that in our hearts, relationships are God's gift to us, right? Unfortunately, the relationships that we've been in have been anything but a gift. They have been a horrific burden. And it's actually funny because the word gift in German means poison. So just a little side note for you. Yeah, I'm not kidding. It means poison. (laughs) My word. (laughs) So it's been, um, it's in poison instead of the present uh, for us, unfortunately. And so we long to have those those relationships that we thought that we were getting into in the first place, right? And that is a good thing, I think. I I do want to to share though that um like I've had to really make sure in my own mind that I don't treat that as just another idol or or a, a false god that I'm worshiping, um, to where I start loving that gift more than the person who's giving it. you know, God who's giving it to us, um, as a blessing. And so, yeah, I do have a relationship now, but it's, it's so much easier now because it's healthy for everything to be in alignment. God can be God. My partner can be my partner. Um, and he truly is that in every sense of the word, a partner. And it, that is such an amazing blessing, Mm. but I don't ever want to start holding on to that to where that is, he's my God. Okay. Cause I've, mm-hmm. I've lived in a situation where I had to essentially worship my husband as a, as a false God in my house, because that was the way it was set up. It was hor- hor- horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do want to encourage her to start seeing the worth that she has inherently in herself. So she's looking at, okay, I've got these kids. I was homeschooler. I'm starting a career 
who in the world would want me? I think that's pretty much what she said. Mm-hmm. So those are things that I think we often, it's sort of a trap because that's sort of the world's message to us. Your, your worth is defined by whether or not you have kids, whether or not you've got a great career, you know, um, all these different um, factors. Okay. And it's not that they're not true. You do have kids, you know, it's not, that's not being in denial about it, but um, that's not where your worth comes from. Your worth is inherent in you as a daughter of the King. Um, you have uh, just, it's unsurpassable. You are worth more than anything. And so to start seeing yourself through his lens is going to position you better in order to, to have a healthy relationship where you're not just diving on the first crumbs that are thrown your way because someone um, happens to think that you are pretty or something like that, but someone who, who sees you through that same lens that you see yourself as someone of unsurpassable worth. That's going to be the foundation for a really healthy relationship is when you see yourself as someone really valuable with something um, that that is a lot to, um, to offer, someone who's got a lot to offer and someone who is going to have it needs to also bring something, what they offer to the table. Right. That's a lot. I mean, that, what you just said, that's a lot. I mean, there's so many different, uh, rabbit trails we could go down. Like I was thinking even, um, it made me think of like match.com, you know, a lot of times, yes. Um, neither you or I did that, but we do know people who have used it, have found uh-huh. a partner on there, found a, a really good partner on there. It's been, yeah. you know, it's a journey right. it's an online dating site. Cause you have to weed your way through, um, or weave your way through a lot of really, a lot of bad stuff, I guess. I can only imagine. Yeah. And so, and it feels like a meat market a little bit. And, but you know, when you go on there, it's like, okay, you're advertising yourself as uh, product in some ways, you yeah. know, like this is yes. what I have to offer you. I'm single. I have no kids. I have a thriving career and a lot of money and I'm really good looking and my body is awesome. You right. know? And so we think, okay, now that's a good product. Yeah. Someone's going to yeah. really want that product. Right. But if you're thinking of yourself like, well, Jeepers, you know, I'm just starting my new career. I'm, I'm homeschooling. I've got four kids and I'm a divorced Christian woman you know, and I've got sag in my belly because I had four kids, you know, I, four kids grew there. Yeah. Um, now you're thinking, well, that's not a very good product and who's going to want that product. So this is yeah. like a completely wrong paradigm to look at finding a new yeah. partner from. You are, you are not a commodity. Okay. You're just right. not, that's not who you are. Right. So I think first of all, like just to give you a little hope, I, Rachel and I both know lots and lots of women Christian women who have been divorced in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, who are now happily remarried and thriving in their new marriages. Mm -hmm. Some of them had two kids, some have grown up kids, some still have small kids, some, you know, some are like me, I had nine kids. Nine kids. (laughs) Exactly. So it doesn't really, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter uh, what your career is, how many kids you, it's a, all that Rachel said, none of those things matter. What matters is who you are as a person mm-hmm. and that, that out there somewhere, there's going to be another human being of value and worth who is, finds you of value and worth for who you are. 
And that's, that's what's, and that's the kind of person that you want. You don't want the kind of person who's looking anyways for just the, you know, the great body and the good looks, just like Rachel said, a pretty face, um, you know, no kids or very little, you know, no kids to get in the way or whatever, or a brand new career. So you don't have a lot of money to bring to the table. No, like you don't want that guy. And here's, but Mm -hmm. here's the trick though. You might think, oh, I'll never get a guy like, you know, I'll never attract another narcissist because a narcissist is going to want, you know, money. They're going to want time with me. They're going to want to control me and they're not going to like that I have. No, that's not necessarily true. Um, Mm -hmm. These guys are looking for what they can get out of you. And if they can, if you're an easy target, if you are ready to just lay everything down for the first person that comes along and says, you know, I love you. You're so awesome. You've got a great mm-hmm. personality. I love spending time with you. Um, then you're going to sell yourself out. Mm-hmm. And I think that a quality person is not going to do, not going to do that anyways. A quality person is also going to be taking their time. They're also going, so here, so here's, here's what I was thinking, Rachel. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that, that you, it, if you bring two people together who are really solid as far as how they feel about themselves, like you, like, like you like yourself. I mean, yes, we all have things about ourselves that we don't like and things that we feel insecure about. And that's just, that's just human nature. But I mean, for the most part where you feel like, you know, I, I appreciate who God made me I've accepted the part. I've accepted that I have different parts. Some of my parts are really amazeballs. Other parts are eh, not so much, but you know what? I'm a mixed bag as we all are. And I've accepted that. And, um, I am good with myself. I actually enjoy spending time with myself. I enjoy, um, my, I enjoy my life as a single. Oh, so let me just interject here. I, I am doing a podcast interview with a woman who was a single mom for many, many years, like two decades. She wanted to, she did not want to, she's divorced from an abuser. She didn't want to get married until her kid, remarried until her kids were grown up and out of the house. So she actually waited on purpose. And then she ended up getting married to a man she had met during that time that she was a single mom. But during that time that she was a single she actually was thriving and she discovered some really important things about being a single that were amazing. And she's going to share some of those things in this podcast episode coming up. So um, I I can't remember if it's going to be two or three podcast episodes from now. It actually might be the next one. No, I think it's, well, anyway, whatever it's coming up. And I think it's going to be great because, uh, and tune in for that one, because it's really important that we end up just liking ourselves and like, and yeah. oh, 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 one of the things she said, sorry, I'm just going off on a, on a ramble here. But one of the things that she mentioned to me is that she realized how important friendships with women were during mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she got really, really close with, with several different women in her life. Um, not close in a kinky way, but I mean, just close in a really friendship. I feel like I have to, you know, clarify that these days, but close in a really deep friendship way. And, um, she'll tell her story, but one of her friends, one of her really close friends ended up just ironically and coincidentally end up getting married with right before she did. So, um, anyhow, I just, all of that to say that there are other things to focus on while you're like, don't just go on a manhunt. I, I think, 
we should go on an us hunt, you know? Yes. Yes. Fill your life with people and, and things and activities that you love and that really build up um, your self-worth and who you are and just give you, rebuild your sense of identity. I think that's so important for us because we've been shattered in so many different ways. And um, we want to be whole. We want to be able to, to offer ourselves to someone who is also whole. Right. And um, I think, and really, I think she was sort of alluding maybe at the end to um, this loneliness and this fear that she she's going to be alone. And even if you're not in a relationship in that way, like um, Natalie mentioned, like other relationships with safe people who just love you because you're you are going to be so healthy and, and feel that loneliness for you. And, um, uh, Cloud and Townsend's books, um, beyond boundaries and safe people are really good resources for helping, um, beyond boundaries will help you know when you're ready to, um, go into a relationship and safe people. Actually, now I don't, I haven't read that one, but you've read that one, haven't you? Yeah, that's a great one to to read at any point in your journey, even if you're still married, because a yeah. lot of times survivors who are still married to someone who's problematic, they also have a lot of other problematic relationships because they're yeah. they tend to kind of put up with more crap from people. Yeah. And so that book <laughs> that book teaches you, you know, what not to put up with and how to find safe people and kind of how to eradicate unsafe people from your life. So yeah. That's a, those are two like great recommendations. Um, so are there any things that you did, Rachel, when, or that you've been doing as a single person um, to just get healthy and just be content in your singleness? Like, what do you do to, you know, make your life happy? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm just healing. Um, I, God has me on this journey where I see more and more the effects of trauma in my life. And I don't like it. And I want to, I'm, you know, doing EMDR and I'm doing, um, just lots of healthy Bible reading and, and fellowship and everything. And so I think that's it. It's just, it's just really honing in on yourself and, um, seeing things that have been there all along that maybe you didn't realize, um, affect you in these different ways or, or were caused by, you know, pain and, um, anguish in your marriage. And so just really, honing in, zeroing in on those things. That's really the sort of where I'm at right now. Yeah. So I, I got married two days after my divorce was final, but it's, a, that's a long, another long story. Our divorce, so I was separated for almost two years and then the divorce took almost two years. So I was single for almost four years during that time. I did, um, also did some, you know, I had counseling, did EMDR therapy and some of those other healing things, read a lot of books. But um, I also did, for the first time in my life, I kind of looked out for myself. So like mm -hmm. one thing I did is I bought myself, I started buying myself a birthday present and a Christmas present and hmm. buy something really special for myself. I started, um, I, for one year, I did a massage once a month. I went to, I had mm -hmm. a friend who was a masseuse. How do you say mm -hmm. that? I'm a mm -hmm. person. And, um, <laughs> and I treated myself to a massage cause I wasn't getting any physical touch. Obviously I wasn't married or anything. And so I just did that to, um, just kind of to nurture my body. And I, I, um, I, I would, I did what I would have called indulging myself before. And I would have thought, oh, that's a sin to indulge yourself. But I did a few little things to indulge myself. And another thing I did was listen to audible books. 
um, I got an Audible membership and I started just listening to Audible books and that was a fabulous. Um, sitting down to a really good movie by myself with a glass of wine was just, you know, and relaxing when my um, ex or when my husband had before we were divorced, he was my husband, but we were still separated. But when he had the kids and I was by myself or having some friends over and doing that or going out to eat with some friends, those were the kinds of things that I started doing to bring pleasure into my life and to bring little, um, yeah, just to bring some joy back into my life and to, and to let myself know that I, Natalie, you are special and I've got your back. And I think yeah. that's really important. So by the time I met who is now my, Tom, who is now my husband, I really was, I felt like I was much more badass. Like, you know, you cross my boundaries and you're out. Like, I don't want to, mm-hmm. we, we were friends for a long time before we, anything ever developed. But, um, you know, I didn't even want to, I didn't even want to be, I just want, I just held him at arm's length for quite a while because... I was not going to, um, I was not going to betray myself anymore. Yeah. So, and yeah. I think that's what you're talking about is like uh, something that I've sort of had to come to terms with is like learning to trust yourself again is so, um, important because I, I sort of betrayed myself by marrying my first husband. There was a lot of factors that went into it, but I didn't do something that was healthy for me. Right. And, um, so like I'm, my, my radar is really sensitive now on that. And I almost, you know, I've, I'm learning how to make sure that I have the skills and the ability to be trustworthy on behalf of myself. And that's, right. that's a really big key. Right. Well, how about if we move on to our next question? Okay. Okay. Let's listen. Hi, Natalie. This is Kim, and I had a question and a concern about the topic of narcissism. Uh, based on an emotionally, psychologically abusive husband for the past almost three decades of exposure to him, um, he was classified in therapy as a narcissist, and I have great concern because I think me as the abused has been possibly taking on some of those same traits and it bothers me. I didn't know if this is normal for abuse to begin to change some of those behaviors based on exposure. Uh, I've got some concern with it because I don't want to be that to anyone else, but let me know if this is common, uh, how to handle it. Uh, I'm starting to think I'm kind of crazy in that department. So My husband just sent me a long text message asking me to pray about my decision and how he has changed and how I have basically hardened heart and how it's going to destroy my son, our family, our lives, our finances, and so on. And here's where I think I'm a narcissist. And I pray that I'm not, but I literally have no empathy I'm going to use a cuss word here. I really don't give a rat's ass anymore. And I have no emotion as far as how his feelings are concerned. That really bothers me. I usually am a very empathetic person. So is that normal to get to a point where you literally don't care? Help. Okay. I think 
this question, a lot of people have this question. I don't know. I know I struggled with this. Did you ever mm-hmm. struggle with this, Rachel? Yeah, just, well, you know, there's, I, I have regrets about the way that I acted sometimes. And, um, and part of that was just that I opened myself up to be attacked by him because I would stoop down to his level and then suddenly he had me, right? Okay. Um, yeah. And that's, that's what happens, I think, a lot you are frustrated, fed up, being baited, being accused. Um, and it's just like, you're in this mud pit with this pig and you're wrestling with him on his level. Like that. And that's not who you are. And, and I, I just want to say like flat out narcissists don't ask themselves if they're narcissists. So the fact that you're asking this means that you're not a narcissist. Right. Um, Absolutely. Right. And you absolutely can pick up traits when you're in an environment, but that doesn't mean that's a permanent state of being. You don't like it in yourself. You have the power to change it in yourself. Have you heard of the term fleas, narcissistic fleas? Yes, I was. Yes. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I was, I was not certain if that was like a good thing to say, because I don't want to compare people to like dogs or something that gets fleas, but like, it's, it's a good term, narcissistic fleas, because you don't, you pick it up by being around someone or a dog or something that has fleas and you don't want those fleas and you can't get rid of them. Right. Well, and the Bible even says, you know, if you walk with the wise, you'll be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So whoever you're hanging out with, the kinds of people that you're hanging out with and spending time with, they're going to have an influence on you. So if you're actually living with and sleeping with and having children with and raising kids with, someone who is foolish and someone who's uh, um, negative and critical and angry, that is going to rub off on you. It's just inevitable. It doesn't mean that's who you are or that's who you would be if you hadn't been living with that person for so long, but that is going, that is going to happen. So that that fleas thing that they're going to come on you. And it, Mm -hmm. so you get away from the person, you get, you, you detox from them and then, you know, wash yourself off and get yourself clean. And then you actually find out that, oh, you know what? Thank goodness. I'm not that. I'm not that. I mean, I can tell you from personal experience that who I am in my relationship with Tom is who I am. Yeah, I've, that's great. I, I am myself and I actually yeah. really like myself and I'm not this crazy person that I was when I lived with a with, with my ex who yeah. drove me batshit crazy on a regular <laughs> basis. Yeah. So um, I was going to say, I was going to recommend a book here too. It's called The Dance of Anger by Harriet Lerner. Did, have you ever read that, Rachel? Uh-uh, no. I, mean, I think you've mentioned it before. It's yeah. really good, huh? I loved that book because mm-hmm. I was so angry. I mean, some people, I feel like some survivors I talk to, they don't, I don't know if they are just super, super sweet people and just never have, you know, they just don't have an angry bone in their body, but I was the kind of person that I had this very strong sense of injustice. And when Mm -hmm. I, and I've been like this since I was (laughs) knee high to a grasshopper, when I see something that is not fair or not just, or I, or someone lies, I hate lying. I absolutely go bonkers when someone is trying to deceive me or when I see someone lying to someone else, I get really, really angry. And so that doesn't mean that I like well, I have screamed and yelled, but I mean, at first what I'll do is I will try to address it. I'll call it out like, Hey, 
you can't do that. What you, you just cheated. I just saw you cheat. You can't do that. Or you just stole that. You can't do that. Or you just lied. You just flat out lied to me. You can't do that. You can't do that with me. Um, and what would happen with my ex is he would do stuff and I would call him out and I would get very angry because as you know, with abusive people, they don't ever take responsibility. So they Mm -hmm. would just deny, he would blame shift. He would justify, minimize the whole nine yards. And then I was left with, well, now what do I do? And I would get really (laughs) mad. Yeah. And I felt like I was this raging lunatic, but after 25 years of living Mm -hmm. with that. And so, Mm -hmm. um, I read this book and realized she, she basically uncovers the key or she says, here's what the problem is. We get angry when we've lost control over something. And the answer is to take back control. If of the things that you can take back control of and to let go of the things that you can't control anymore. So, um, like I couldn't control who my ex-husband was and how he operated and his worldview and his perspective on things. I couldn't control his behavior. But what I could control is my reactions to it and also my taller, I I could control, um, well, eventually I realized, you know, I I can control whether or not I stay in this relationship or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why I decided to leave. So I took back control of my life. I said, you know what? If you're going to continue to treat me like this, me, I, who I am, will not be in a relationship with you anymore. And I don't care if I am a Christian and I don't care if the church does excommunicate me, which they did. And I don't care if I do lose family and friends. I will not tolerate someone treating me like this anymore because I am a human being. I have feelings And I have a perspective of my own and I deserve just as much respect and care as anybody else on this planet deserves. And what a a concept with respect and care. And and you will too, if you want to be in relationship with me. And his answer to that was, you know, well, he basically gave me the proverbial finger. He not really, because he would never do that, but he just basically continued to treat me like that. And so eventually now we're not together anymore. Now I'm with someone who does treat me like that. So um, anyway, I just went off on a, so, so get that book if you, if you feel angry, but um, I have a lot of other thoughts, but I'm going to let you talk now, Rachel. I'm- <laughs> uh, well, you have such great points there, Natalie, because um, what, the, you know, the ultimate decision to sever that relationship that's what gave you your power back, your control, you, you know, the, the things that you were able to have control over, you retained, you, you got that back after you had limited contact with him. Right. And I think there's so much power in limited contact because you can never reason with these people. They are never going to take responsibility for themselves. Right. And that is so evident in his text message to you um, that you described where he's, um, he, he has to change. He's projecting. He's guilt tripping you. He is giving you the whole works of everything in his arsenal in order to get you back under his control. And of course you don't have any feeling towards um, what he's saying because that part of you is shut down. And that's a good thing because he's using yeah. that to control you. Exactly. So. <laughs> you lo- you really want to get to that place where you've disconnected. So to, to this woman who is worried that she doesn't have any, you know, feelings of empathy towards him anymore, you're actually, that's actually 
you've actually done a lot of, it shows that you've done a lot of healing and that you've done a lot of detaching Mm -hmm. and you are in a much better place now to be able to move forward into your future. Yes. So kudos to you. Yes. And here's the other thing I want to point out. She cares about the fact that she doesn't care about his feelings. So that bothers her, right? (laughs) That is not a narcissist. Exactly. Narcissistic behavior. So you're going to be just fine. I am also, she didn't say this. I'm guessing that she has empathy towards other people in her life, like her kids and her friends and her family. Yeah. I'm guessing that this is, you know, she selectively is unable to have feelings towards him because of everything that has happened between them, everything he has done to her. And that is understandable and that's okay. You shouldn't keep letting someone hurt you. Exactly. Well, yeah, I thought, so the the scene I thought in my head was of, if you lived with a cat, if you had a cat that was constantly scratching you and biting you every time you got near to it, you after living with that cat for 10 years, I don't know how long cats live, but after living with the cat for a lifetime of a cat's life, um, you would not really, would you have like warm, fuzzy feelings towards that pet? (laughs) No, you would not. And that's normal. None of us have warm, fuzzy feelings towards people who are constantly criticizing us, tearing us down, blaming us, shaming us, and refusing to live in a respectful, loving relationship with us. So, What you may have, though, is sadness, though, that that cat wasn't what you thought it was going to be. Right. You got it. You had envisioned this wonderful, healthy relationship with lots of purring and um, scratches and stuff like that. (laughs) That didn't happen. (laughs) <laughs> Too bad. You need a new cat. So yeah. that's what I say. Just go out and get a new cat. <laughs> yeah. Take that one to the pound. Just kidding. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So I was just going to say too, you don't have a hard heart. I think I was thinking also of my boundaries illustration. Well, it's not mine. It actually belongs to the Henry Cloud and John Townsend, but the idea of having a house and a yard and he, whenever your partner has come into your house, it's, you have your own house and yard. I talked about this before, but I'll reiterate it anyway. You have your own house and yard with a fence around it that defines where your life begins and where someone else's life, where your life begins and ends and someone else's life begins and ends. They're in your next door neighbor. So if they're coming over into your house and yard and disrespecting you and pulling out your roses and being mean, and you finally, and, and you've been long suffering and patient for many, many years. And you finally say, Hey, you have to get out now. Cause you don't you, stop, just stop pulling my roses out. Go pull your own roses out. And you shut the gate to that person. You're not being hard hearted. So when someone accuses you, when that person stands by the gate and goes, you're being hard hearted, you're being mean to me. Cause you won't let me come in and, and pull your roses anymore. Well, that sounds like a toddler to me. And then Mm -hmm. you just look at them and say, no, I'm not being hard-hearted. You're actually the one being hard-hearted because you continue to insist that you come over into my my yard and pull my roses. Just Mm -hmm. stop. And because you haven't stopped, you can't be here anymore because I'm an adult and I'm going to shut the gate on you now. I don't have a hard heart. I cared about you. I wanted you to be able to come over and have a relationship with me, but you weren't interested in that. You just wanted to pull roses. So goodbye. Yeah. So anyway... Um, I think that the, I'm just looking at my notes here. Cause I had a couple other thoughts. Oh, when, when these people, when these kinds of people accuse you of things like that, well, you're hard hearted. You're this, you're that they are just causing you to question and doubt who you actually are. They're going to mm-hmm. accuse you of the exact opposite of what you are. And it's usually 
what they are. It's usually they're what projecting. they're projecting. Yeah. Exactly. They're usually projecting their issues onto you. So what, what I've tell, told people to do is this little exercise where you take what they say to you and then say the opposite. So if he told you that you're hard-hearted, you would say, well, actually the reality is, because there's a spiritual component to this. Satan is actually yeah. trying to get you to doubt who you are, to undermine and neutralize you. So he'll tell you lies that are the opposite of who you are. So, um, and he'll use your abuser to do that. So the reality is for this woman who uh, called in, you are actually, I would venture to guess that you're an extremely empathetic person, that you are actually a very soft-hearted person that gives people lots and lots of chances before you finally say, this is not working. Mm -hmm. And, but you're also an adult person who's taken back your life and made a very adult, mature, grown-up decision to... Um, and a healthy boundary decision to not allow other people to take advantage of you and take over control over things that you really are supposed to have responsibility for. And that's your own life. And so I say, good job and keep Mm -hmm. going. And for all the rest of you who are feeling like big, bad meanies, you're not, you're actually amazing, powerful women. And you have an amazing, incredible destiny ahead of you. And you are going to rise up and do incredible things on the face of this earth. Yeah. We, we see you. I mean, it's, it's such a venture because we don't know these women personally, but we know them. It's, we do. it's always, you know, like th- this is the setup. You've got someone, a husband usually who's very hard hearted with a wife who just wants to make things work and does everything she, she can. And, um, that takes a lot of empathy and it's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, the women I've met through flying, flying free, are some of the most kind, loving, mm-hmm. warm-hearted, generous people you could ever get to know. They really are. They are not what their husbands accuse them of. They are the opposite. Yep. Yep. And that's they are. that's what makes it so horrific is that it's such a lie. Yeah. Uh, one one last thought that I had to is that when you think about how Jesus was with people uh, when he was spending um, part of his life on earth. He wasn't, you don't ever see him be, I mean, was he hard hearted towards spiritual narcissists like the Pharisees just Mm -hmm. because he told them really hard things? And Mm -hmm. no, he called them out. He told them what they actually were, you know, white, they were whitewashed sepulchers holding dead men's bones. And I'm sure that they thought, well, they did. They told him, well, you're the son of the devil, you know? Literally, they called him the son of the devil. I mean, yeah, they did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And which is, again, the exact opposite of who he really was. And I'm sure they said things like, you know, he's hard-hearted and he doesn't obey God and whatever. But Jesus, that didn't stop Jesus from doing the adult thing. And of course, he wasn't hard-hearted at all. He was the, he is love. The Bible says he is. Whatever love is, that's who he was. That's who he is. So anyway, I think we're going to wrap it up here. I thank you, Rachel, for joining me again today. And thank you guys for listening. And I want to say that if you um, want to, if, if you want to take just just a few seconds and go over to Apple iPod, Apple podcasts and leave a review on this podcast. That's what helps people to find us. So quick, do that, leave a rating. A rating is just rate it from one to five. And then if you leave a review, 
that gives people a little more of an idea more specifically of what it is about this podcast that means something to you. So um, that's it. Thank you for joining us. And until next week, fly free.